Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor, where we explore the latest advances in cancer research and patient care. Thanks for listening to this episode. Be sure to visit oncdata.com for more content, including expert perspectives from leading oncology thought leaders, FDA approvals, patient advocacy, and much more. And don't forget to subscribe to Oncology Data Advisor on social media to stay up to date on the latest videos, podcasts, and more. Hello, um, I'm Steve Friedland, a urologist at Cedar sinai Medical Center, as well as the Durham VA Hospital in Durham, North Carolina. And it's my great privilege and honor here to be today with my, my good friend, close colleague, uh, Dr. William Aronson, uh, professor of urology at UCLA and chief of urological oncology at the Greater Los Angeles VA um, Health System. So Bill, it's, it's great to have you here. We're, we're talking prostate cancer prevention in terms of cancer prevention month for February. And, you know, things have shifted in prostate cancer where we're not just worried about prostate cancer, we're worrying about aggressive dying of prostate cancer. So what do we know in terms of, you know, let's start with maybe early diagnosis, PSA testing. What do we know about that in terms of trying to prevent ultimately dying of prostate cancer? Well, PSA testing is absolutely essential. I mean, we want to do it the right way, but uh, when folks stopped doing PSA testing from 2012 to 2018, based on the uh, United States Preventative Services Task Force recommendations, that was a terrible idea. And there was a lot more metastatic prostate cancer. So we, we know that, that PSA screening is for sure useful we just have to do it the right way. So, so what is the right way? So what the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force changed their recommendations. And now they're saying uh, consider it, you know, between age like age 55 to 69. Uh, earlier, if you have risk factors, if patients are black or if they have a strong family history. Uh, so that's that's a reasonable starting point, but I think we need to go much further than that. And then again, uh, have a uh, informed discussion with the patient, discuss the pros and cons, you know, what's termed uh, shared decision making. Um, I think that that's not enough. I think we should offer PSA screening for men who are older if they have an excellent 10-year life expectancy. And how about in that younger group? What are your thoughts about offering it to patients without high-risk features, but in their 40s or early 50s? I think, I think again, it comes to shared decision-making. I think certainly if patients have a strong family history, a family history of lethal prostate cancer, if patients are Black, if they have other risk factors. For example, if we know that someone is, is BRCA1 or BRCA2 positive, that's someone we need to be uh, especially vigilant about. Um, but I think that, uh, there's some data suggesting that if your PSA is very low early on, your risk is lower, lifetime risk is lower. So again, I think that boils down to shared decision-making. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I got my, as I'm getting older, I got my first PSA in mid forties, no risk factors. Um, so it's it's kind of you put your your money where your mouth is, so to speak. It's you know it's 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 always a, the question I always ask is you know what do you do for for yourself? You know right. it's nice to say what do I recommend. So let's let's throw it back to you, Bill. What 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 did 
where did you start screening or have you screened? Oh, I'm definitely screening. Probably around age 50 was when I got my first PSA. And, uh, you know, it's been stable. I'm going to get another PSA today, actually. Um, I certainly believe in PSA screening, vigilant PSA screening. And then there's there's lots of subtleties to it, you know, uh, which I think we need to discuss. I mean, is the PSA a perfect blood test? Absolutely not. You know, it needs to be looked at uh, in, in a context of uh, what's the PSA trend over time, for example. Uh, if your PSA is elevated, I think the PSA density is a critically important number to know. So it's it's uh, there's there's a number of subtleties to it. Yeah, but I think no. we should discuss PSA density. I think that that's you know one one important factor to discuss. I don't know if you want to get started with that, and then I can chime in. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's the concept that as you said, PSA is not a perfect marker, so one of the biggest reasons it can be elevated is just big prostates. So I'm doing this in my practice with patients with elevated PSAs. I'll get an MRI. If I see a big prostate, no lesions, don't biopsy. Just follow it. So elevated PSA is a sign for me that we need to figure out why. It doesn't mean they have cancer. It doesn't mean they need a biopsy. It just means I need to figure out why they have an elevated PSA. Totally agree. I mean, um, for folks who are not familiar with PSA density, if you take the PSA and divide it by the prostate volume, that's the PSA density. And uh, ideally, we like to see it less than 0.15. So for example, if a patient has a 100cc prostate and their PSA is 10, then that PSA is less than 0.15. And we can feel a bit more comfortable with that patient. In my practice, I always look at the PSA trend over time. And if I'm interested in the volume, you know, I'll, I like to do uh, pelvic ultrasounds. I found those to be very accurate and it's simple on our end. I mean, it's a practice-based, you know, issue, whatever works well for you. But I have found those to be very helpful for knowing the prostate volume as well. So, you know, so I, I agree. I mean, I, I think early screening is, is crucial, but there are other things people could be doing. So are there any drugs out there that have shown their FDA approved or shown efficacy and, and how do we use those? FDA approved drugs, not that I'm familiar with. Uh, there was some interesting work done with finasteride and dutasteride, and it looked like those, uh, you know, reduce the risk of having um, non-aggressive prostate cancer, but because of some of the issues with the data suggesting there may be an increased risk of more aggressive prostate cancer, it wasn't approved by the FDA, that issue is debatable. Um, you know, I certainly use finasteride for patients who have an enlarged prostate uh, to help them urinate better if they're having, you know, lower urinary tract symptoms. Um, but no medications that I know of that are that are FDA approved. Do you tell when you put a patient on finasteride for their enlarged prostate, their urinary issues, do you talk to them about the prostate cancer risks, the pros and the cons or not? Um, so what I talk with them about is I let them know that it's going to cut their PSA in half. And so they have to take their PSA um, 
once they're on finasteride, divide it by two. And then remember, if we're going to screen for prostate cancer while they're on finasteride or dutasteride, we have to multiply their PSA times two to get the actual PSA. So I think that is well worth knowing. Um, I actually don't discuss with patients that, that issue of potential increased risk of prostate cancer if they're on finasteride. Do you do that in your practice? I do. I mean, as physicians, as surgeons, we live by anecdotes, right? So I remember a patient very clearly was prescribed finasteride by another provider who hadn't given that. The person went and read the package insert word by word, line by line, came to me livid, super mad at the other urologist. You know, so we spent a lot of time calming patients down, um, that patient, but it was just kind of stuck in my memory of, of, let me tell you the good and the bad. And before you read it online somewhere, then get mad at me for not having told you. Fair enough. So fair enough. Um, so, you know, are you using these drugs, even though they're not FDA approved, have you ever used them for preventing prostate cancer in patients? Definitely not, but I'm going to swing that one back to you. Are you using statins to prevent prostate cancer? I am not. So, so there's some data, you know, as you know well about statins preventing more aggressive prostate cancer. Kind of, it's not the same level of evidence we have with dutasteride and finasteride. They're not randomized controlled trials. They're observational studies. Um, I am not. I, I, um, I, I think some of the mechanisms of statins is, is probably controlling cholesterol, which we're going to hear about from, from you and a lot of the diet stuff that you do. So I'm not really using anything to prevent um, early detection. But, you know, one of the biggest questions I get is, well, what can I be doing? You know, what, I don't want to take pills. You know, mm. I'm here at Cedar sinai I'm in Los Angeles, Beverly Hills. Nobody wants to take pills. Everyone wants to be on, on the perfect diet, the perfect lifestyle. So I get that question a lot. So let me turn over here. I mean, you're one of the world's foremost experts in understanding diet, lifestyle, its impact on prostate cancer. Um, what do we know? And then what do you tell your patients? Right. So to, just to be crystal clear on it, we, we do not have the prospective randomized trials to support what we're talking about right now. So now we can talk about kind of our understanding of the literature and based on both of our many years of experience with this, you know, what we, what we think the data points to. Um, first thing I'll always say is a heart healthy diet. Um, when patients want to know uh, what to do to prevent prostate cancer, I would shift gears in their thinking and think, you know, what's going to be most likely to, to kill men as we age. And the answer is heart disease. So in that regard, uh, it's a healthy diet and regular exercise. And now how do you define healthy diet? Well, for um, heart healthy diet, I'll just suggest that patients go to the uh, to Google and look up the American Heart Association recommendations. And then they can uh, look at, you know, obviously it's more vegetables, uh, you know, more brown rice. Um, you know, we can get into more details about that. And there's lots of them and lots of things that I have strong beliefs about uh, based on data. But, um, and then actually you can, patients can just look up um, 
uh, exercise, you know, for heart health. Uh, there are specific um, uh, societies that have recommendations for that. Uh, if patients want to read about it further, I like to say, I like to refer them to the Prostate Cancer Foundation website at pcf.org, where they can uh, really get more of the uh, information that they need, and it will give them specific recipes as well. So this is a, a starting point. Um, you know, they push me further. I'm going to talk with them about, I think some of the best data is on lycopene from, um, you know, the red color in tomatoes has uh, the antioxidant lycopene in it. And there's some nice preclinical, you know, mouse studies and human studies on uh, lycopene. Um, I could go on and on and on. What, what, do you, what do you suggest for patients? So, so what I tell patients, and I, I think, you know, you know, we don't have tons of time left, but I'd love to hear about your research because you've done a lot of research in this. And I think we're all colored by our own research in this space. Because you say there is no level one evidence. There's nothing I can point to that definitively this will have a benefit. So, um, it, you know, we live in the U.S. Patients want a soundbite. They want like one, two pieces of advice. Talk to them for like an hour about things. Most patients are going to absorb that. So the one thing I try to focus on is giving up simple sugars, cookies, cakes, candy, soda, and you know, basically what I'll say is I, I do a lot of nutrition research. I learned it from you. Um, you know, you do a lot of nutrition. We've talked, I've talked to other people. Nobody is recommending simple sugars as a good thing. Right. So that's one thing that probably we can all agree on really shouldn't be in the diet. After that, it's the wild, wild west and everyone has opinions. Um, I tend to, if they're really going to push me more towards a low carb keto world, but I think a, a whole food plant-based and very careful, not just plant-based because cookies could be plant-based, you know, whole food plant-based, I think is perfectly healthy as well. I'd love to, at some point, do the randomized trial of whole food plant-based versus keto. My guess is we're not going to see a heck of a lot of differences in terms of prostate cancer. We think they're both pretty good. Um, so, but the, I, I, I focus on the simple sugars, but you know, if someone really pushes you, what do you tell you? And then tell us a little bit about the research you've been doing. So some interesting stuff there. Happy to, but just to kick it back to you one more time, I think that what we do know is men who are obese are more likely to get aggressive prostate cancer. And in that regard, I see you as the expert actually in this area. And so what you're really getting at with your approach is weight loss. Um, and so I just want to kind of confirm that the important fact, and I don't know, is it time for Ozempic? I mean, who knows? Uh, no, I'm very intrigued by Ozempic and, and the other drugs. I mean, there's multiple now, um, but I, I agree. I do think weight loss, um, there's actually increasing data that smoking is linked with aggressive prostate cancer and fatal prostate cancer as well. So it'll be another thing, um, not a lot of health reasons to be smoking. And we can probably add aggressive prostate cancer to that list as well. And then the exercise I, I do think is an important component is, is out there as well. So again, what do you, when you're really pushed, what are you telling people and, and what are you finding in your research? So the first thing I do tell people is about um, 
again, just to go back to the lycopene, I think that that's something that they can easily do. They can eat more um, tomato paste, tomato sauce products. So I think they have to be careful of the salt if they have hypertension. And then when you eat those products and you include um, olive oil, which inevitably accompanies those, that's also one of the healthy fats. So I think that's something to really let patients know about. Uh, with regards to our research in dietary fat, um, the real enemy in my mind is the omega-6 fatty acids. So there's three types of fat. There's saturated, monounsaturated, and the polyunsaturated. And, you know, the healthy fats like olive oil, the monounsaturated are going to be a favorable fat choice. But the polyunsaturated fats, two types we think about, the omega-6 and the omega-3. And it's those omega-6 which are predominant in the American diet. You get it from corn oil. So when you use corn oil, actually soy oil, um, you're getting uh, the omega-6 fatty acids. It's in, it's in uh, baked goods. It's in cookies. It's in fried foods. You're probably getting it in meat, uh, in, in corn-fed uh, um, uh, animals. And so what we see in our lab is if you grow a human tumor under the skin, a human prostate cancer under the skin of a mouse, if you give them corn oil to eat, the more corn oil they eat, the faster that cancer grows. And we see that over and over and over again. And when we lower the corn oil, we also see um, a reduction in the growth. So we're not talking about prevention right now, although we do have a prevention study, right, in which we did in mice who develop prostate cancer. Again, if you lowered the corn oil, you saw a decreased development of prostate cancer in these genetic mouse models. And we have some human studies, which, which I think are compelling as well, which we're, which we're writing up right now and hope to have published within the next month or two. Um, the other issue which is important is, uh, in, my, in my view, is increasing fish intake. With fish, you're getting the more favorable omega-3 fatty acids. The easiest way to get that in the diet is with salmon, though uh, sardines also provide the omega-3. Uh, with the salmon, Certainly wild caught provides more of the omega-3, uh, but even when you buy um, farm salmon, you're still getting the omega-3 fatty acids in there. And then there's the debate about fish oil or not fish oil, taking a fish oil supplement. And uh, I think there may be value there as well. Do you recommend taking fish oil supplements or not? So I'm not yet recommending fish oil supplements. I think we can discuss the data with the patients and they can make their own determination, but we do not have strong prospective randomized trials, you know, showing that fish oil is beneficial. There is some data to the contrary, though I think that data is, it has been a well proven uh, that fish oil does not increase risk of prostate cancer. So again, I think it's a dietary supplement that patients can consider using on their own, but I don't tell all my patients take fish oil. We're almost out of time. Quick yes, no. Are there any supplements that you do recommend? 
no, <laughs> no. I discuss supplements with patients. Uh, I can tell you what I don't recommend is there was an excellent study done on selenium and vitamin E. Folks thought that those might prevent prostate cancer and folks in the group that got the vitamin E actually had an increased risk for prostate cancer. So I think that that's, that's some good hard data that we have. Yeah, no, I, I would love to continue the conversation. I, I think we're, we're out of time, but um, I'd love to have you when, when those results that you're alluding to are, are published, um, you know, I'd love to, to have you back and, and talk more about that. But I, I think to, to sum up, you know, in terms of preventing prostate cancer, early screening is probably still our best bet. We have drugs. They're not FDA approved. They're not widely used. Um, and we all want to believe that diet exercise has a role. Um, we're still debating exactly the best way, but I think avoiding obesity, limiting smoking, getting some good exercise is, is probably the way to go. Totally so, agree. All right. And again, it's been a pleasure to have you on, Bill, and we look forward to having you back. Thanks, Steve.